You're listening to Rosie on the House. Good morning, Arizona homeowners. Why don't you come on around back here and get ready to dive into the garden and get that good old earth under your fingernails and cultivate and harvest our hard work that we've been doing all year long. Well, I, you know, today, most of the work's got to hand it to the trees. Yeah, give them a little the water, give them a little fertilizer. They they're doing most of the work on today's topic. We're in the farm with urban farmer, farmer Greg of the Urban Farm, along with Kari Spencer, author of City Farming, and we're talking apple and peach harvest. Now, somebody new to Arizona, they're thinking uh, apples in Arizona. Yeah. Now we're not talking Macintosh. No. Nope. Or Washington. What nope. what kind of apples are we harvesting today? So there's there's really only two kinds of apples that do really well here, the Anna and the Dorset Golden. And the kicker for those particular apples is they're low chill, which means they don't need a whole lot of cool, and they ripen early in the season. So they're getting, they're coming ripe. I mean, I see some from your... Those are from your, the Whitman Plantation. There. We have six Annas. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And these are the... These are what the horses haven't eaten yet. So right. <laughs> as we're thinning our apples, that's our that's how we do it. We take all the little, you know, you get a, a nice big cluster of six or seven. You mm-hmm. take two or three out and you put them in your bag. And as you're feeding, you just give each horse a handful. And nice. It's like candy to them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the Anna and the Dorset Golden, they ripen early enough. All of the rest of the apples will ripen in August, September, October. And the problem is, is that they just cook on the trees in the summertime. So that's one of the keys to success for stone fruit. So that's anything with a pit in the middle of it. And apples here in the desert is you want to plant trees that ripen before about July 10th. Now, if you wanted one of those later ripening ones, could you make a little cluster and plant this one in the middle so it's shaded and protected? Or it's still just when it's 112, it's 112. Exactly. It's going to cook. <laughs> exactly. Shade or no and and shade. you can. You know, my friend Jack out in uh, Tempe, she's got... Uh, She's got, uh, I think she's got a gala growing, and she's gotten a few apples off of them. So, you know, you can when plant you... these other apple trees, and you can get a few apples. But how many apples are coming in on your Anna oh, apple tree? Oh, we can't keep up. That's why it's I brought this whole bag here. Mind-blowing. We, we picked twice that off yesterday, and it doesn't even look like we've started picking. Right, exactly. And uh, when you said she's got a few on that, well, how much water? What's your water to harvest ratio right. there? <laughs> well, you and I are lucky. We've got flood water, right? Well, we have a well. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah so exactly. We, we've got a, a private well that we operate off so, of. And, and given you brought it up, I get this question a lot. It's like, uh, excuse me, why are you proposing that people grow fruit trees in the desert? We're water shorted here. Well, my answer to that is there's 4.4 million people that live in the Phoenix metropolitan area, and we all have to eat. So we either need to ship in an apple from Peru or, you know, Washington State, or we can grow it here. There's an environmental cost to either one of them. So Definitely. And if you're, how, how does your peaches and apples taste coming off of your tree? They're mind-blowing, aren't they? really good yeah that's mind-blowing how they taste plus when you're when you're plus plus when you're harvesting them ripe the fruit is actually better for you it's in season and so and i could go on i could go on for weeks but today we're here to talk what about peaches peaches oh peaches uh same story you know harvest before july 11th 
Uh, and there are about a dozen peaches, three or four apricots, uh, half a dozen plums that all do really well here. Nectarines will take those off the table because they're highly susceptible to something called a thrip. And thrip damage makes unedible fruit. Uh, so just put a peach in. Uh, but, you know, so those are a couple the apples and the peaches and stone fruits. Those are great to preserve. But there's also mulberries. And, you know, people will say to me, oh, my God, mulberries. We can't plant. Mul it's not legal to plant mulberries here. Well, it is to plant female mulberries. There's male mulberries and female mulberries. The males produce the pollen. The females produce an amazing fruit on the Pakistani and dwarf black mulberries. They're just they're absolutely wonderful. And we're at the end of the season for those now. Now, and, and make great shade trees as well. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of the stone fruits or citrus, they're not really designed and, and shouldn't be trimmed up. To, you know, you got all that sunburnt exposure to the right. bark by opening When you want to keep, you know, from, a, from an urban orcharding perspective, you want to keep the trees small anyway so you can pick them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're oh, easier to manage. This tree that this one's off of is now six years old. Mm -hmm. And I... I'm at the point I can't reach the top by yeah. hand anymore. <laughs> right. Well, so those are apples. And yeah. I've got a, you know, I've got a 20-foot tall apple tree in the backyard at the urban farm. I'm growing it that way on purpose. But most of the rest of the time, I encourage people to keep their fruit trees small. But we're not so here to talk your about fruit trees. Is your mulberry uh, is, is your shade and fruit. <laughs> exactly. But we're not here to talk about the fruit trees themselves. We're talking here to talk about what the harvest the and what to do with it. And I've got my good friend here, Kari Spencer, to talk about, you know, what do we do with this amazing bounty that's coming off of our trees? Yeah. And if you've got a number of trees like you have, Romy, and like you have, Greg, you got to do something with it. Oh, yeah. You'll have so much that you po can't possibly just sit down and eat it all. You'll be sick of it, right? So why right. not Why not preserve it? And then around Christmas time, you've still got some of that good fruit to eat mm -hmm. when it's not in season anymore. It's on your pantry shelf. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's that's the thing about fruit trees. You have to prepare for that process because, you know, you could get 200 pounds of apples off of a tree. What do you do with 200 pounds of apples all at once or, you know, 100 pounds of peaches? You've got to set yourself up for success, right? Yes, that is right. you got to pre-plan that, too, a little bit. Too. So what does that look like? Well, we can do a number of things to uh, to actually preserve the fruit, but even taking it a step further back— when you plant something, start thinking about, what am I going to do with this harvest mm. right then? Right. And think about when it's going to be coming into season. Start getting your supplies together. Start getting your recipes together so that when it comes, you're not taken by surprise and have things that just go bad because you're scrambling now to know what to do. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you plan to go on vacation when your peaches right. came ripe. You know, that's a, that's not an ideal scenario for sure. Right. Well, you know what? I actually every year plan my vacations around my harvest. So we don't leave town until middle of July because I know that I'm going to be harvesting all kinds of stuff in May, June, and early July. That's right. So you get it all harvested, preserved, and then you can go on vacation and feel great because you've got all this stuff at home that you and what's you better on a vacation than a picnic with your own homemade canned peaches yeah nothing's better oh, nice. than that especially when you're riding in the car and you want to eat something yeah you don't have to pull through the drive-thru you got it right there and you don't have to refrigerate it if it's been canned yeah. right so let's talk about canning well there's two types of canning there's the water bath canning and there's pressure canning 
water bath canning is probably the most common way that people preserve foods because mm-hmm. it's super easy to Especially do. Especially when you got a 100-quart crawfish cooker, and I can fit 24 cans in that water bath in one time. Nice. We can Four. go through some cans now. Now, I, I want to clarify something. When we say can, we don't actually mean putting them in can. No, large-mouth mason jars. Yeah, mason jars. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly, yeah. So we, we do water bath canning, which simply means you pack the food into the jars, and then you heat it uh, to boiling. You, you put it in your canner and heat that water up to boiling and let it let it boil, and it um, you know that helps to get the air out of the jar, mm-hmm. and it, it kills germs that could grow in that jar. And then once the process is completely done, you can take the jars out, let them cool, Put them in your pantry. You don't need to refrigerate them at that point. And we we do water bath canning for high acid type foods. So um, anything that any type of food that is high in acid, we can easily water bath can. All right. So so how do I know what's high in acid? <laughs> well, a lot of fruits are high in acid, mm-hmm. um, inc- including tomatoes, which I which are a fruit. Oh, yes, they are. Yeah, yeah, but um, we also can add some acid to our recipes, Mm -hmm. add some lemon juice, juice, add some citric acid to help bring up that acid um, level. If you want to know which fruits and vegetables would be appropriate for water bath canning, I would say go out to the National Center for Home Food Preservation website at nchfp.uga. Dot edu. And that website will give you all kinds of information about how to do water bath canning safely and also deliciously. Yeah. So what's the difference between that and pressure canning? Because that's actually what I do. I, I pressure can it uh-huh. just because... Well, for anything that's not high acid, like if I want to preserve a corn harvest so that I have jars of corn sitting on my shelf, mm-hmm. that is a low acid food. And it is dangerous to actually water bath can low acid foods because pathogens can grow in there that will make you sick. So instead of uh, water bath canning, we can pressure can them using a special pressure canner that heats and pressurizes the food to such high temperatures that really nothing harmful can grow in there. (laughs) And that's the only way to do low acid. Mm -hmm foods. But it's okay to, if you have a pressure canner, just pressure can everything, right? Sure. You could pressure can, uh, I pressure can even meat sometimes, chicken. So yeah, you you can pressure can a lot of different things. So where's your best spot source for mason jars and lids and wide mouth versus small mouth? And where do you get your pressure cooker? Do you have your Lehman's catalog? You have a place local you, you buy from? Well, that's one of the really great reasons to start thinking about canning before it's actually time to can because if you are looking for a canner at the last minute you're going to pay top dollar for it right right whereas if you start thinking about this some months in advance you can start uh, looking on amazon for sales for instance you can start looking on um Craigslist and other websites where people sell things. You can start looking for a friend that maybe you could borrow from just to try it out and see if you like doing it to begin with. You know, that's a big one because a pressure canner is, what, 150 bucks? 
They can be. Yeah. Yeah. And they can be. If you have one that you can, you know, expensive. borrow from a friend. Or but, or if you've got a neighbor that does canning, there's plenty of and, and you don't have a garden or you're hearing this and you're like, oh man, that, I'd love to teach my kids that. I remember doing that with grandma. Well, by the time you plant a tree, you're like five years out from a good a good canning of your own. Well, there's plenty of big co-ops and farmers markets. You could go get, you know, a couple sacks of fresh produce and you know, if your neighbor's got the canner you know, hey, I'll bring the fruit. We're going to use your canner. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There yeah. you go. And on the jars, interestingly enough, the true, the true value in Ace Hardware's carry jars. Moving to the country, I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm going to eat me a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. Thank you, Gary D. Always finds a... I love it. An appropriate song for the conversation. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's one 767 4348 one rosie for you Text questions can be sent to 411923, and you can also email info at rosieonthehouse.com. And as we were stacked up tight against the break, Farmer Greg, you were mentioning... An, an, a surprising spot to get yeah. canning supplies. Yeah, I, I discovered this a couple of decades ago that, you know, Barry's Hardware at 12th Street in Northern, I know they have uh, canning jars. And usually when I go into, uh, you know, a hardware store around town, you know, with the Ace and True Values and the local places, that's one of the things they carry, which is really cool. And I know the True Value in Wickenburg get, carries them firsthand. Yeah. yeah, you know, another place is Goodwill. You know, you can always go in and because you're just looking for the jars, you can buy the lids new. Right. Yeah. The jars you can use forever. The lids you need to replace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you can find the jars on a super sale on their 50 percent off day at Goodwill, that's great. And since it is Memorial Day weekend for all the veterans out there, the big box stores, the hardware stores in town all do military discounts. So Uh, you can get some canning jars with the. With that military discount. And you had just shared on the break your nephew's graduating West Point? Yes, right now as we speak. Today, this graduation, moment. yes. Excellent. Congratulations. So, uh, wide mouth or small mouth? Uh, I, I never knew the difference between why you would water bathe versus pressure cook a can. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now you know that. And now I know that. Is there a difference between small mouth and large mouth? Why, why, why would you do one over the other? I was going to say there's... <laughs> You know, pick one, but it sounds like you have a better answer than that. Well, I I like small mouth for things that I'm going to pour and wide mouth for things uh, that I need to, you know, stick a fork in to, to pull out. So that's, uh, for me, that's easy. It. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. So the, the really the canning season started last month with mulberries. Now we have apples and peaches that will have, and plums, uh, and some figs, actually, that, you know, will be ripening between now and middle of July. Cucumbers. Let's not forget those Armenian cucumbers. That was cucumbers, your next on the list, pickling and fermenting. Yeah, and, you know, you can water bath can pickles because we use vinegar, which uh-huh. is high acid. Yep. So you don't need a lot of special equipment to do water bath canning, uh, vinegar pickling. And it's not just cucumbers you can pickle. You can pickle just about anything. Beets? I've even pickled watermelon rinds, and they taste delicious. Oh, you, yeah? know? you can pickle beets, you can pickle eggs, you can pickle so, so you many So you pickle things. the rind of the watermelon. Yes. 
Just the rind. Well, now I know something to do with our watermelon rind other than throwing it to the, the chickens. Do you take the green off? No, absolutely not. Just, so what do they taste like? Okay, so Farmer Greg, Farmer Greg here. They taste like pickles. And I've never had watermelon yeah. rind whatever that sounds awesome yeah they're absolutely delicious and a great way to use something that might get thrown away or just thrown to the chickens um i pickle everything from like if we have an excess of squash make squash relish i'll make rummage relish if i have if i have used a lot of uh squash and and eggplant and other vegetables over the summer and i'm getting sick of it I'll just cut it all up and make a rummage relish out of whatever I have left that I don't really want to just eat. A rummage relish. Yeah. Love that. (laughs) So it's a lot of fun to get into canning because you can be really creative. There's a lot of great recipes, especially some of the old, old old-fashioned recipes, which are really fun to look at and Mm -hmm. to, to create. Just go out to that. National Center for Home Food Preservation website to make sure that the old recipes match the new guidelines, the newest guidelines. Yeah. So you might have to kind of update those old recipes, but it's still fun to it's still fun to play with it and be yeah. creative. Well, and another really fun thing coming up here in about sixty days are prickly pears. Oh, you know, yeah. they're you know they're out and about, and prickly pear syrup and jelly is amazing. Um, just a caveat about prickly pears. Those are those ca- pad-looking cactuses that you see around the desert. Mm-hmm. Don't touch them with your hands. No. Don't. Barbecue tongs. <laughs> Barbecue <laughs> tongs, exactly. Ma- Mom and dad are prickly pear cannon fools. Really? They are. Go Rosie they, and They Jennifer. make special trips out to uh-huh. uh, harvest prickly pear. Yep. Yeah. Jennifer's kind of got it dialed down. She, she, I, I'm the worker bee. She's the brains behind the deal. Nice. She says, "Go fill up these five gallon buckets." So uh-huh. I bring, I bring her three or four or five gallon buckets of yep. ripe prickly pear fruit. It's usually seems like it's usually in the early fall. Yep. And then she just, then she just goes to work, yeah. and she may, and that's that, <laughs> that's one of our favorite uh, holiday gifts is mm. the syrup. I love, yep. I love it in tea. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the juice itself. Margaritas aren't bad either. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Prickly pear margaritas here at Rosie on the House. We've got more with Farmer Craig and Kari Spencer. We're going to be talking about dehydrating a little bit, uh, a little bit of freezing, all things you can do to preserve the local harvest. If you're not a grower or a farmer, and you find a farmer's market, there's a lot more in Arizona than you might think. Uh, fillyourplate.org is a great resource for finding those. and. Send us your questions. We want to answer your questions today. Hey, if you're down in the desert floor, anywhere from all about Black Canyon down to about Green Valley, and you've got a Bermuda lawn you'd like to keep green, now's a great time to fertilize. If you didn't get it done last week, Make sure you've got your Bonite's premium lawn food. Slow-release nitrogen fertilizer will be a quick greening and last up to six weeks for a nice green lawn to get you through the summer and add a little cooling effect off your back patio. Bonite products are proudly made in America, and you can find them all over the state, including Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson, Treeland Nurseries out in Mesa, 
And, you know, it's a little bit different type of grass, but if you're kind of up in the Flagstaff area and coming up here as we're getting into our growing season there, you can find it at Warner's Garden Center. We're talking with farmer Greg and Kari Peterson about the— Kari Spencer. What I say? Where'd that Peterson come from? again? Yeah. <laughs> I do that to you. I'm sorry. That's all Kari right. Spencer. And we're talking, uh, we've been going through canning. We've talked about pickling. Mm-hmm. And it's time to get a little, a little bit of dehydrating is another option for preserving our harvest. That's one thing I have never done is dehydrating. Oh, it's one of my favorite ways to yeah. preserve food. It, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I'll tell you what. On your way home today, you come by and see me at the Urban Farm. I will lend you one of my dehydrators. Oh. Hey, well, and you can start putting those apple chi- apples yes. in the dehydrator. You got yourself a deal, partner. Oh, my God. They are so good. They I are. am still <laughs> eating apple chips. I have just this much left, like, you know, half a pound of apple chips left over from last year, last year's crop. So I make, you know, pounds and pounds and pounds of apple chips, and I eat them all year. How do you keep them around that long? <laughs> Mine get eaten straight out of the dehydrator. Well, <laughs> see, for me, I'm lucky. It's only me and Heidi. You got a whole crew over I there. I got kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll. Okay. All right. Yeah. You, all right. You, you'll what, be there at the Urban Farm around 1130? I will. All right. And what, what can we dehydrate? You can dehydrate just about any fruit or vegetable yeah. that you want to dehydrate. Um, but apple chips, yeah, that's a big favorite around my house. You can make trail mix. By dehydrating apricots and mm-hmm. peaches and all kinds of different things like that. You can dehydrate tomatoes. And oh, yeah. one of the things that my family really loves is to make our own homemade fruit leather. Oh, yes. Tell us about fruit that. Fruit leather. Fruit yeah. leather. You know, my kids, when they were small, they loved those, you know, fruit rolly things from the grocery store. But they had so many preservatives and so much sugar in them. Mm-hmm. I just hated to put that in my kids' body. So I started making my own fruit roll-ups at home. I would just puree whatever fruit we were harvesting. we had in season, whatever yep. we were harvesting or buying at the moment, and I would spread it out on parchment paper on my dehydrator racks in a real thin layer, let it dry, cut those into strips, roll them up, and... My kids would take those to school for their lunches instead of buying them at the grocery yeah. store. And the important thing is you know what's in it. Exactly what's in it. Yeah. That's right. That's the fun part at the end of the day, when you know exactly what you're eating. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I tell and, people to grow your own food. And you do it two or three times, and then you go out and you have something like eggs. Mm-hmm. I can't have eggs away from the house. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> These are yellow. Egg, eggs are orange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These are slimy eggs. I mean, the with the yolk is like a syrup coming out of the. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah. hungry now. But out of yeah. out of your over easy or your egg in a hole. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Greg, do you have any kale still hanging around your house, or is I, it pretty much gone? It's pretty much gone. Did you dehydrate it? I do. Okay. Uh, you can dehydrate kale chips, kale powder, uh, kale powder for green drinks. Um, it's a great thing to do at the end of a season. Yeah. To just take whatever's left harvest over. whatever's left over. It's starting to get bitter anyway. You may as well make chips or or green powder out of it. Yeah, one of the cool things that you told me you did uh, recently is citrus. Oh yeah, citrus is great to can. Yeah, especially at my house, we really like canned grapefruit. It's yummy, and you know you can play around with the recipes. Not for kids, but put a little. 
alcohol in it if you want and make (laughs) special (laughs) dessert toppings and things like that. But yeah, well, that was that was cannibal. a can, canning piece. But don't you dehydrate them as well? Oh yeah, you can dehydrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can dehydrate. Uh, you have to take those really thick skins off mm-hmm. uh, and just dehydrate the fruit. It takes a long time, uh, but if you puree it and make like a fruit leather out of it, you you kind of have to mix it with something that's not quite as wet. Like maybe mix an app some apple mm-hmm. with the grapefruit. Mm-hmm. So that oh, that'd it, be fun. Yeah, so it's not just, you know, juice running all over your dehydrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a three-in-one from the Lehman's catalog of a hand press, and one's a juicer. Mm-hmm. So all of our citrus, we've got the grapefruit, all, all your basics, uh, oranges, lemons, and, you know, we'll, we'll mix them together. And, and no two mm-hmm. drinks will be the exact same. You know, like, oh, I take it. Uh, that one's got a little bit too much grapefruit. Squeeze a few more oranges in it. Now <laughs> let's add a little tart. Get a lemon on top of that or put a little lime in it. it it's, you know, every drink is, is different. And then now you switch out the plates and it becomes an apple slicer. Oh. So you just put your apple on it and slice it or your potato and you make fries out of it. And then there's a third plate. Oh, uh, you're going to so love the dehydrator because you just <laughs> pop the apple in there and slice it and put it in the dehydrator and you're done. That's the most time consuming of dehi- the thing of dehydrating apples is how do you, because you got to cut them in smaller chunks. So we got the press, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even core them when I'm dehydrating. Mm-mm. Don't need to, especially not a homegrown apple, which doesn't have the really woody core mm-hmm. like some of the store-bought apples have. Now, why would that be? Is it just the t- is that what happens as it's been off the tree and it just starts to? I'm open not up really sure why that is. Yeah, good question. Hmm. Okay, well, good to know. At, which explains why I, I never thought of it. I just thought, well, maybe it's Ann because you don't. I don't remember growing up eating a lot of Anna apples. It, it seemed like we were a lot more red apples right. in the house growing up. And I just thought, well, maybe because I've eaten this apple and there's virtually no core on. I thought, well, let's just be the Ann type, but it. Might have something to do with it was picked off the tree this morning. <laughs> could be, could have something to do with size. They're smaller apples than some of the store bought apples. All right. So. Although they don't necessarily have to be. I've had baseball and even softball size apples come off of my tree. Yeah, trees. that's awesome. <laughs> Food preserve with uh, farmer Greg from the Urban Farm mm-hmm. talking about what to do because when you do it right, there's more a tree will provide you more than you can eat when it's right oh but you can time. take benefit of that year round like you were saying you're just now finishing yeah. up apple chips from last year mm-hmm. now Kari, it sounds like you've got uh, a big enough family more than one tree would be needed to get you through a full year especially if i'm gonna make apple chips yeah (laughs) now do you do anything to the apples when a lot of times when you're canning you find out why you know they sell 10 pound sacks and 15 pound sacks of sugar at the bottom shelf of the grocery store at Uh this time of the year for people going through a lot of peach canning Mm -hmm. do you have to do anything when dehydrating you don't have to some people just put them in the dehydrator and eat them au naturel I like to put a little cinnamon and a little bit of sugar, mm. some apple pie spices like nutmeg and those kinds of things on. Then they, it just tastes like crispy apple pie. Apple pie all year long. <laughs> yeah, and same thing with the fruit leather. I'll just use an apple pie recipe, and instead of making a pie, I puree it and spread it out on that parchment paper in the dehydrator, and it's apple pie fruit leather. 
And we're talking apples in Arizona uh, for the lower desert areas. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned the Golden Door sets and the Anna apples. Yep, those are the only two I would plant. Now, how long before it, you know, the first year, they look like grapes coming off of there. The second year, they might look like quail eggs. <laughs> uh-huh. Three years. Three and, years. And usually what I tell people to do in the first year and the second year you know, first year, definitely, definitely take off all the fruit because once you plant the tree, you want to get it established. And if it's making fruit, it's not establishing roots. And then what I tell people on the second year is take off, you know, like 80 percent of the fruit. But then by the time year four, three comes around, you're going to get a nice amount of fruit. Uh, and then in year four, five, six, seven, you're getting, oh, my God, amount of fruit. That's hard to do. When, I know. When taking off 80% of your fruit, that's yeah. that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. But if you're telling me it's going to make my tree better, I'm, yep. I'm, I might have to hire the neighbor to do that. That <laughs> I, I'm a horrible thinner. I see there all those little shoots. I'm like, I'm not going to take a single one out. We're going to harvest them all. Well, here's the big thing about thinning. Most fruit trees can produce, produce so much fruit that what you get is golf ball size apples, number one. And then number two, they have so much fruit on the tree that the branches will break, and you don't want your branches breaking. So what they suggest in the industry is to take the fruit off one fruit every three inches. That's what should be left on the tree. Okay. I can that's follow for, one one for three inches. Yeah, that's for apples and, and peaches, but who has time for that? <laughs> How do you know when it's ripe? On the apples? Yeah. On the apples. Okay. How do you know when apples are ripe? Right this time of year, they're they're probably still a little chalky. Have you tasted an apple and it tastes a little bit chalky? Um, I wouldn't have called that one chalky. All right. So then it's ready. It's a little tart then, right? A little tart, yeah. Yep. Okay, good. So in in May, mid to mid-May, the apples are a little bit chalky. And then as they start to ripen, they go tart. Uh, and then the longer they stay on the tree, the sweeter they get. So mid June, mid to end of June, you'll have some, if, if there's any left on your tree, <laughs> you'll have some nice uh, sweet apples on your tree. And the apples that grow here, the Annas and the Dorsets are great for baking. Mm-hmm. I see an apple pie back there. They're great for cooking. They're great for dehydrating. They're great for apple cider, uh, both hard cider and, and apple juice. They're great for apple wine. I do have some friends. I've I've not done it with them, but they've got an apple press up in the Dewey area, uh-huh. and they always have a big cider uh, mm-hmm. juicing, you know, annual event. Well, that was the other thing I was going to offer because you've got six trees. I've got a, a fruit crusher and a fruit press that's pretty industrial. Um, so if you want to borrow that, you can borrow that too. That's and that the, would be for pressing out cider. Uh, yep. Juices. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I'm glad I brought the truck today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. I don't know if I'm going to give if I'm going to give it to you yet because I need to do mine. You got still have to do yours. All right, all right. That's fair enough. Yeah, exactly. All right, we've got a uh, text questions about th- this. Kind of goes back to what we were talking last time you were in about mulching, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. and they spend a lot of time following your mulch recipe and getting it out to the drip line and mm-hmm. getting your six inches and said, but I can't keep my chickens from scratching up my mulch. Is there a way to <laughs> prevent that? Oh yeah. Okay, good. So what I do is I put a little fence around the mulch basin. You do fence them out? Oh yeah, yeah. You've got to, because you've got to keep them out of your gardens and your mulch basins because they, they go nuts. The chickens go nuts in the mulch basins. They're looking for grubs and stuff. And 
So yeah, I uh, if you come to my tour, I have a tour at the Urban Farm next weekend. You'll see how I did this on one of my uh, uh, on one of my fruit trees in the backyard. I have a nice basin around it and uh, a fence around the basin. And this would look very tacky, but something we've done just as a makeshift because it's what we had available and we mm -hmm. use it for keeping cats from scratching in the garden mm. was when you buy a flat of flowers from the nursery, those grates they come in, just turn the grate uh, upside down uh, and set it on there and they can't get in and scratch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they blow away and they, you know, it, it would look kind of tacky. But if you had a couple laying around mm -hmm. until you could get a little fence built out, how high of a fence do you have to build to keep the chicken from jumping? I go three feet. Three feet? Yeah. And and assuming that you've uh, pruned one of their wings so they can't fly. Uh, That's good. another story. Good tip. <laughs> We have a caller in Tucson. Um, before we get to her, though, let's cover our last method that we've got on our talking points here today. Something that they didn't have 100 years ago probably very well. Freezing. Yeah, freezing might be the the easiest way. It is. It is. What I do with peaches, it's really super simple. I pull them off. Like this morning, I'd go out and pull off peaches and let them sit for 24 hours on the counter. I cut them in half, pop the pit out. Stick them on a cookie tray, freeze them, and then put them in a jar. It's that simple. Pits in and everything. No, we took the pit. I take the pit you, out. You did take the pit out. Yeah, pop so you, the pit out. And, okay. and how do you do that without crushing the the peach and turn uh, it into a goo? <laughs> well, you need a cling-free peach. Okay, cling-free. Cling-free peach. It's the kind of peach. Some of the some peach pits like stick, and you can't get them out for those are cling peaches. There's a semi-cling peach, which they kind of pop out, which the desert gold, which is ripening here pretty soon, that's a semi-cling. And the riper it gets, the quicker it comes out. And then there's a, you know, you've ha all had a peach where the dang pit's rattling around inside of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a cling-free. So that's how you do it. Okay. It's a type of peach. It's a, well, desert gold is the type. It's a, it's a, it's a um, help me here, Kari. Um <laughs> it's a way they are. It's a way of being for that particular it's just, characteristic. Yeah, it's, oh. There's, oh. The There's the word. Yes. <laughs> We're all, it's too early in the morning to be thinking about $10 words. Oh, my. So canning. Or, I'm sorry, freezing. <laughs> well, I just want to reiterate what you said, that you spread them all out on a tray mm -hmm. and then freeze them in a single layer, mm -hmm. right? And then you can transfer them to a bag or to a jar really quickly mm -hmm. before they thaw mm -hmm. and stick them back in the freezer. Mm -hmm. And that way you can take out of the container as much as you want to eat at that moment and not have to thaw the whole container. This right. works for raspberries. It works for blueberries. It works for most, most fruits. Yeah, most you fruit. can do that way. And so that's a great tip, Greg. And then you're talking, you got a note here on power outages. What do you do when uh, you got a freezer full of meat, don't frozen goods? Open the freezer, whatever you do. Yeah. Keep that cold air in. <laughs> get, yourself a, get yourself a gas powered generator. <laughs> Fire yeah. that bad boy up. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Usually it'll stay cold enough if you quickly either get it fixed or replaced or whatever the problem is, mm -hmm. if you just leave it closed. Um, but, you know, that only 
will last a few hours. So you do need to get something done in a hurry. All right. Now, we've got uh, Kathy on the line. Let's see how we can help her this Saturday morning. Calling from Tucson, Arizona. Welcome to the program, Kathy. Hello, Tucson. Hi. Good morning. I'm trying to find U-Pick farms in the area. I'd like to can and dry tomatoes, but my yard isn't big enough to actually plant enough plants to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I'd go to Google and type you pick tomatoes <laughs> Tucson. I know that there's uh, lots of apples in Wilcox. Apple Annie's. Yeah. They might have something. Yeah. Um, but I'll give you three websites here, Kathy. And I, they're for farmers markets, but they're also going to be able to direct you as well. A lot of these farmers markets come from or are in conjunction with a you pick it mm-hmm. type, uh, type farm. But there is fillyourplate.org. When you get there, you can click on Farmer's Market, and it's got a great map. There's a, a great place out in Three Points that on 86 uh, that I would imagine. Uh, we'll, we're getting pretty close to the tomato harvest. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right now, we're For right sure. on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the other thing is is that a lot of times the farmers will sell boxes of mm-hmm. tomatoes. The last time I canned tomatoes, I went and saw uh, Bob McClendon with McClendon's Farms, and he had – 20 or 40 pound boxes for uber inexpensive mm-hmm. oh our neighbor will go buy carrots by the truckloads from russo to feed them to his steers and fattens them up like 40 bucks for a truckload of carrots right yeah and and don't forget market on the move produce on wheels without waste and is bountiful baskets still i don't know i don't know but yeah. those are places that collect produce from farmers that didn't get sold in the stores for one reason or another and they sell them for like ten dollars for sixty pounds of produce, yeah. and I believe that they uh, at least one of those is in Tucson as well. And one website supported by the Arizona Farming and Ranching Hall of Fame is the ArizonaFarmersMarket.com by the Arizona Grown brand. So oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's a, a bunch of great resources for you there. We'll dig around uh, and find uh, find one close to you, Kathy, during the break. I just want to do a shout-out. I know we're wrapping up the hour here. I have a tour at the Urban Farm this coming up weekend on June 1st and 2nd. We do it on Friday morning and Saturday morning at, uh, I think, 9 9 and 8.30 a.m. Basically, I have to get myself to Glendale and 12th Street. Glendale and 12th Street, yep. Urbanfarm.org is where you find out more about it. But the Urban Farm is a third of an acre. It's 80 feet wide by 160 feet deep, and I just do a lot of cool urban farming stuff there. You You can see it live. And you have something in harvest virtually year-round. Virtually year-round, yes. You just have to be willing to eat kale sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Go eat kale. Precisely. And Kari's got her new book out. Oh, yeah, City Farming, a how-to guide to growing crops and raising livestock in urban spaces. We have a lot of information about canning and pickling and dehydrating in the book. That'd be a great book for Kathy. She said she doesn't have enough space. You'd be surprised how little space you need to to get a good produce going once you've got your setup done right. So we we may have to send her a complimentary copy of that one. Mm -hmm. Rosie on the house. Farmer Greg, urbanfarm.org. To find out about the next week's farm tour and city farming book can be found on... Amazon. By Kari Spencer. That's right. (laughs) 